right, welcome back to another episode of Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. And today we're joined for one of our quarterly read, watch, listen podcasts by Elena Forsyth, Sally's sister, longtime fan, many times a guest on the show. Elena, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be back. Yeah, I think besides our Flannery podcast, you were actually on the summer or spring read, watch, listen when we were talking about, that's when we realized we needed to have a separate Flannery episode. Yes, I believe so. It was, uh, I think it was spring. Let me go back and double check in my files. But Elena, in the meantime, uh, how are you? Um, I'm well, uh, all things considered, I was going to be in person with you guys this week, but that is true. Alas, COVID undoes so many things these days, but it's been good anyways. Yeah, I know. That would be great to have you sitting next to us instead of looking at you through a screen. We did that once and we said that the next time we were going to do it, we were going to, um, try the Glenlivet. Oh, um, that's right. The bourbon. whiskey pods. The Tide yeah. pods, yeah. Yeah, which we still have not tracked down. So um, <laughs> I guess actually... we haven't failed to, to deliver on that since I'm not in person now. So we'll still have to pursue that for a winter rewatch listen, maybe. Yeah, good remembering, though. We should, but I'm not sure if they're still around. Like, I just did, oh, wow. as you mentioned, that I did a, a web search life. for it to try to find Completely out. Completely flopped. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all the articles about these are from October 2019, which is when wow, we talked about them. They had come out, crazy. like, you know, a couple weeks prior. So I don't know if they're still around. Let me search Glenlivet pods by. Well, in a previous time, we actually had our act together enough that we both went to Trader Joe's and bought the same things and then taste tested them. But again, COVID, that's, true. <laughs> that's not even yeah, possible. Yeah. So instead, we're just going to share some fall foods that we're enjoying because I know I always like getting ideas for snacks and yummy fall food. We'll go so, ahead and start us off then, Sally. Okay, what what yeah. fall food are you are you thinking about? Well, most so these days? up until recently, I haven't really been gravitating towards hot fall foods because it hasn't been that cold, and so I have been tending towards like the Honeycrisp apples and pumpkin flavored yogurt, which I mix up at home myself. But recently, it's actually been cold enough, either in the mornings or the evenings, where I've been roasting the Honeycrisp crisp apples in a little bit of olive oil and cinnamon. And they are amazing. I actually got the recipe from a toddler website. I was looking for things. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. For our son, um, who is the pickest eater on the planet. Uh, he's getting better. He's getting better. He's getting better. True. Um, I try not to label him with that. So I just say it to myself or to Zach that he's the pickiest eater on the planet. But anyway, entire podcast audience, I have found a recipe <laughs> that I don't even want to share with anyone else except Zach because I just know my children will devour the apples otherwise. And they love apples. So yeah, why do. do they need and they another do like these incentive too, for apples? And we've given them one or two here right. and there. They love them. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise I save them for me and Zach as a nighttime snack. And they're so good. Um, still definitely anything pumpkin flavored. I'm always all about. I just can't get sick of pumpkin. Pumpkin oatmeal, pumpkin muffins, pumpkin bread, pumpkin coffee. Uh, yeah. So Pumpkin spice lattes. Pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not above them. Or below them. They are good. I mean, I, I like them. You have to <laughs> ask them, ask for them like half sweet. Right? That's because true. I like a slight flavor of pumpkin, but yeah, it's just my favorite thing. Nice. That's all good. So pumpkin, everything and apple baked, baked apple slices with cinnamon. Yeah. And I'm just getting into like the fall soups and chilies and stuff. Like last night I tried to make a chili and burnt it twice. So that didn't really work. So I'm calling that not my first <laughs> go around with a fall chili. That and wasn't your fault though. That was the instant pot telling you burn and deciding to not cook it. True. But then when I tried to cook it on the stove, I then burnt it. Well, yeah. So yeah. 
So we're just, we're just going to pretend that that didn't happen and we're going to move on and I'm going to uh, try it again. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) Elena, how about you? Fall foods that you're looking forward to or, or enjoying now. I mean, it's already fall. We're already well, well away. Right. Um, yeah, I've, I've been in a cooking slump lately. Um, so I can't, I felt it's like I've struggled to get excited about cooking a whole lot. Um, I'm not really on the Honeycrisp Apple bandwagon. I, what? I, I <laughs> yes, I think they're too sweet, not a whole lot of flavor. So I'm going to have to say my, um, my fall food has actually been cocktails. Um, oh, I've nice. Really into mixing. Yes. So my Thanksgiving contribution is going to be an apple brandy cocktail. Um, so I'm looking forward to introducing you guys to that. It will be a virgin version for Sally and for the children <laughs> present. Thank you. Um, Wait, so what is a, what is a virgin an, an, apple cocktail? Is like apple juice? <laughs> apple cider. Well, no. Oh, I so love apple I'm, cider. Right. So it'll be something like apple cider and ginger ale instead of apple brandy and gin. <laughs> I'm not above that almost, either. Almost the same. Almost indistinguishable <laughs> from the real thing. Yeah. And then grenadine, which is like a homemade pomegranate syrup. So oh, yeah. It'll be really that. sweet. It'll be really sweet. So, yeah. <laughs> the kids will love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The kids will love it. But the adult version will be... Um, Laird's bonded or Laird's bonded apple brandy, which is bonded apple brandy is like a hundred proof. So it's really strong. Um, gin, grenadine, lemon juice. And I don't know if you're into egg white drinks, Zach, but this has, uh, it's shaken with an egg white. So I'm very excited about it. I mean, I, I am not a cocktail connoisseur at all. I don't know if I've ever had an egg white drink, but I'm not opposed in principle. This sounds, I mean, you like this sounds okay. very egg promising. Nog. Uh, I love eggnog. Yeah. So I mean, it's very the, different from that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's got kind of a rich, uh, velvety texture to it. Yeah. Um, so I, I really like ed- egg white drinks. So we'll egg see how white you by itself has the texture it. of snot. Yes. I knew you were going to say that. And by itself, I wouldn't like to <laughs> eat it, like that. but if it's shaken into <laughs> no, a cocktail, it's not yes, at all like yes. that. yeah. Okay. I didn't think so. so yeah. We'll I, see if you go for it. I'm excited yeah. about this. This sounds great. Okay, well, I have to say my favorite fall food, or at least the one that I'm most looking forward to, is pumpkin pie and apple pie. I, I did not grow up a huge pumpkin or a huge pie guy, but now I love pies and think they're absolutely delicious. I love how you can have them for breakfast. Yes, like any meal. Yeah, you can't snack. eat cake for breakfast, but you can totally have pie for breakfast. Like slight big slice of pie and cup of coffee, like oh, totally yeah. a defensible breakfast. Yeah. yeah. Um, as long as it's not like a chocolate silk pie or something, but I mean like a fruit <laughs> pie. Right. Right. And so I love that love pumpkin pies, especially. And I am excited to dive back into what we did a couple years ago, Sally, which was the pumpkin bourbon maple. pumpkin yes, pie. I was going to say, should we suggest that as our contribution to Thanksgiving? Sure. Why not? Yeah, let's do it. It's been a few years since we've, it has contributed. Anything, I really want that. Period. Like I love maple syrup <laughs> as well. And so pumpkin maple bourbon, pie amazing great yeah so that's what wow. i'm most that's that what i'm most good. excited yeah. to do yeah i'm excited okay. about it yeah we did it a few years ago but lately we've just been rocking up at the last minute and saying feed us yeah it's, which is a great way to do thanksgiving <laughs> I, just great our, <laughs> I just i just think all of our desserts on thanksgiving should include alcohol in some form <laughs> it's the only I way i have another one a sticky spiked double apple cake with brown sugar brandy sauce that I was thinking of bringing in addition to the cocktail. 
So here's my thing on like alcohol and food though. I only like it if I like the taste of it, right? It's not like spiking punch where like you do it to get drunk because you're not going to get drunk off of a spiked cake. <laughs> you should only do it if you appreciate the taste the of the alcohol. The flavor that it leaves behind. So like I love bourbon maple things and so that in pumpkin pie yeah. is great but like i'm not going to get toasted off of a <laughs> few slices of pumpkin pie <laughs> but but uh cakes and pies like that i guess are interesting especially something like pumpkin pie where you don't bake because the alcohol does not bake out <laughs> mm. there's no uh there's no baking out of the alcohol that's in there it's all it all stays in because you just stick that pie in the fridge right well no you do I mean, bake it i guess you do bake it a little bit right but it's not it doesn't know. bake as long as some things. Yeah. yeah. So I can, I, I'm not a I don't chemist. think you're going to get drunk off your pie. Definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. It's <laughs> safe for children to consume as well in limited quantities. Children right. and pregnant women. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, with the uh, the fall food stuff out of the way, should we talk about read, watch, listen recommendations? Yeah. Let's start with watch. Watch. Okay. And Elena, let's start with you. The guests on the show. Guests go first. So what are your watch recommendations <laughs> for fall 2020? Well... I'm afraid you're not going to like this, Zach, but <laughs> I've been on an Aaron Sorkin kick lately. <laughs> Wait, I've no, been... we like Wait, Aaron Sorkin. Why would I not like this? I love Aaron Sorkin. I I was under the impression that you weren't a big Sorkin fan. Wait, no, what? That yes. he's too idealistic. No, wow, we like Aaron Sorkin. I'm shocked. You clearly wow. do not listen to well, vernacular podcasts. <laughs> the Newsroom is one of my favorite TV series of all time. And The Social Network is one of the greatest films of all time. Yeah, because this is great. No, I'm so glad you're bringing I this up. On, I'm on virtually my, I mean, I, I really, how many times I've watched through the entire newsroom series, but I've recently watched through it again with two different people. Um, so all virtually, of course. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I've been going through the newsroom again, but I also just watched the trial of the Chicago seven. Yeah. Um, so I was, that was on my list to talk that. about because I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to watch it because I'm excited about it. Is it good? Yeah. What was your impression? I, yeah, I've seen it twice. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, feels like uh, it, it was it was shocking to to notice the difference, uh, the similarities rather between 1968. Everyone's saying 1968 and 2020 are very similar, um, but yeah, I just thought it was a, a really good look into um, uh, what happened over the course of, especially the trial. It's focused mostly on the trial and not as much on the riots. Um, but, you know, of course, Sorkin is sympathetic to, um, the, the Chicago seven who were, uh, tried and five of them ultimately, um, convicted of conspiracy to start a riot, uh, for the Democratic National Convention in 1968. It was later, uh, the FBI revealed that it was the Chicago police who actually started the riot, but it was just a very interesting look at these very different players. One is a complete pacifist, leader of his son's Boy Scout troop. He's there just to protest the Vietnam War. I mean, they're all there to protest the Vietnam War. Um, but one is a pacifist. Another is uh, very political and um, and very uh, not not eager to provoke the police, but certainly not unwilling to engage them if a confrontation to arise. And then, of course, you've got Abby Hoffman, um, who was known as an agitator and was very eager to get into a row with the police. Um, so you've got these very different players who've all come with the purpose of protesting the Vietnam War in front of the Democrat, the Hilton where the Democratic National Convention was being held. 
and how all of that shook out, especially about how their, their trial uh, shook out, what it was ultimately about for them. So I thought it was really well done. Felt like the kind of thing, I mean, it was the same kind of fast-paced dialogue that you'd expect from an Aaron Sorkin movie. Um, you know, something that uh, uh, Sloan Sabbath could could, uh, could hold your own in. So it was great. Yeah, I loved it. I hope you guys like it too. Nice. Yeah, we love his fast-paced dialogue. Um, and if if people who are listening are fans, they should look at the Rewatchables podcast or the Big Picture because they the Big Picture actually just recently re- released an episode about the top five Aaron Sorkin films or something, and I think the same um, the trial show that you watched, Elena, and uh, the Rewatchables has at least the Social Network on there, if not other Aaron Sorkin films. I will say that um, they kind of the veil was or like the glass shattered when I listened to one of their rewatchables and how they pointed out how Aaron Sorkin is a, not like the be- has not the best portrayal of women most of the time, which I think is fair. Like most of their, his shows are pretty male dominated. Um, but that doesn't take away from his genius. Molly's game is a departure from that. That's a good point. Yeah. 27, yeah. 2017 Molly's game came out. That's true. That's, I always forget that that's Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. It stars Jessica Chastain. Um, and it's not that he, say that he, well, it's not that he's always really say that he mean towards women, really. but they're, they're just not usually, it's not like a woman led movie or except for Molly's game. Um, and, and I mean, a, a lot of the women in social network are not that great. Like once you really think about it or they're just like foils, it's just like, Oh, Mark's girlfriend. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Or they're just like kind of annoying most of the time. <laughs> so anyway, that's my only critique, but I, I uh, generally like Aaron Sorkin. Well, I'll add another one to that though. Uh, Moneyball, which is now on Netflix and one of the greatest baseball movies ever made. And that's a fun one. So if you have a Netflix account, it's free to watch right now. Yeah, He's just prolific. He is for sure. Very good. Okay. Well, our watch recommendation is joint unless you have something on your own that I don't know about. (laughs) Um, But the show Money Heist, which Sounds like a stupid name because it is a stupid name. It wasn't the original name. No, the original name is La Casa de Papel, which means the house of paper in Spanish, obviously. Yeah. So the whole thing's in Spanish and it came out, what, a few years ago in Spain? Uh, yeah, I think 2016. Yeah, okay. I think. And now there's four seasons with a fifth coming, something mm-hmm. like that. We are in season three, I think. We've been slowly watching it. We just started season four. We just started season four. Yeah. Okay. And it is fantastic. It is. Uh, the acting is fantastic. This was a, like, we might be just way behind the money heist phenomenon, but this was a, there was a big, like this took over Europe apparently when it came out in 2016 and 17. And I don't think the phenomenon quite reached across America, probably because Americans don't like watching movies with subtitles and all of the audio is obviously in Spanish because it's a Spanish series, but it's so well done. It's well written. It's well acted. It's well shot. It's well narrated. I mean, it's like, I mean, everything about it is just so impressively well done. Yeah, I've it's been, well designed and I've planned. been blown away with the quality of production. Um, I mean, I won't say it's realistic. It's a heist movie. And right. so you have to kind of like suspend a little bit of realism whenever you watch a fun heist caper. But right. it's and really, really fun. sometimes there are unnecessary scenes and it kind of gets into a, like a sexy soap opera drama there is a little bit of but there's not too much of it i would say especially in the seasons three and four so far more so um i think the i think the series was originally written as a kind of two series limited run one and two 
Um, and so the first heist ends there. And then you pick up with the second heist in season or series three. And so I think what happened is they originally wrote it as like one self-contained heist. And then it was such a hit that they added on more. So you can kind of tell that. And there's a little bit of a quality shift, I think. But seasons one and two, I really can't say enough good things about them. And seasons three and four, there's not a huge drop off in quality, in my opinion. And as heist movies go, it's not on the lighter side. So I was definitely hesitant at first because it's not Ocean's Eleven. (laughs) But if I was able to push through and I'm really glad that I did because I just think it's a really well done film and actually has some really deep profound questions that it asks and poses. And we haven't been shy about our pro-life story, right? We haven't been shy about our pro-life views on this podcast. So I'll just say there's a very interesting pro-life thread in the first season. And that was surprising. And just some other comments that are made that you can just tell that the writer is a deep thinker. Yeah, it's it's really good. So yeah, check out Money Heist on Netflix if that sounds at all intriguing to you. And just be ready to maybe fast forward or close your eyes or <laughs> not not look at every scene. It's a yeah. little a little gory sometimes. Yeah, the only other thing on watch that I'll mention is that I've been enjoying rewatching some of the classic Disney cartoons with our kids because oh, Dis- yeah. Disney Plus gives us that opportunity. They're all on there, and so. Um, that's just been fun to like relive my childhood <laughs> with the Lion King or Beauty and the Beast. 101 Dalmatians. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a good one too. Um, the Aristocats, which I loved when I was growing up. So uh, that's a fun one uh, that I've enjoyed over the past few months and will continue to enjoy as the, uh, you know, the winter weather sets in and we probably have a few more, <laughs> a few more days in which we're watching movies with the kids or whatever. So that's I, been fun. Just I reminiscing just- on old Disney cartoons. Speaking of Disney, I guess we can't say unequivocally that we like it, but we started Inside Out. And True. Yeah, uh, just, just the two of us because it, it's way above our kids right now. But it seems like a thoughtful. It's interesting. Yeah. I was th- like, thoughtful look at emotions. <laughs> so we started and- it last night and there have been moments today where I've been like, you know, getting angry or whatever, or frustrated. And I'm like, this is like the little, the little anger dude in my, I know, in my I know. head. At the am controls. I going to let the, the disgust character take the wheel <laughs> of my brain? Or am I going to let the joy character take, the wheel? you've got to see it yeah, to understand, but it's pretty funny. Yeah. But it, it's actually helpful in thinking through your own emotions, probably especially for teenagers, but I think adults can appreciate it too. Yeah. When I was a, when I was a youngster, I would watch every Pixar, you know, cause Pixar does these, or at least they did these like pretty consistent annual releases every summer there was a new Pixar movie and I watched them all religiously like every year they would come out and I pretty much stopped I think around the Incredibles because uh, I just think like in general the quality became less consistent like for a while there it was just hit after hit there was the Toy Story series and uh, Bugs Life Monsters Inc all that stuff the Incredibles one was like pretty good but after that things went downhill so I haven't seen like Wally I haven't seen Inside Out I have seen Up Up was a definitely a hit haven't seen the um the most recent one last year, I don't remember what it was called, but like, I mean, it just kind of got Disney-fied to me, but Inside Out, I know it had really good reviews when it came out. It's a popular one, and yeah, so far it's been fun, so. All right, should we talk about reading? Yes, reading. Elena, what recommendations do you have for us on fall reading? Oh, man. Um, (laughs) Well, I finished another Flannery O'Connor book, uh, but, (laughs) but as far as being seasonal, I've been reading probably too much news lately, uh, including quite a bit by um, The Dispatch, which is a collaboration of, of political, um, I mean, some of them are journalists, um, they have different backgrounds, some of them are attorneys, um, 
So they've had varying involvement in politics, but um, I guess as I'm searching for the best news sources these days, especially since there's such a sense of distrust with various media outlets, I've turned more to um, curated um, collections of articles and things like that. So the the Dispatch newsletter, it's a su subscriber's uh, newsletter. So I, I um, have, you know, paid my whatever it is. It's like 50 bucks for a year. But um, then I'm on the list for um, for people like um, David French and Jonah Goldberg and others who write for them. Um, so some of it's opinion pieces. Sometimes it's a... Um, uh, a list of articles that they, you know, must read for the for the past week or so. But um, yeah, I just find that it's a it's a balanced assembly of um, of commentators, and I think it's a, a pretty fair perspective of what's going on in the world today. So I've enjoyed that lately. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I'm also a reader of the Dispatch, uh, and I'll I'll come back to that in my listen recommendations, but. I'll just add to what you said, Elena, that I started reading the dispatch because I read some of those guys when they were at national review and I found their takes to be like overall just reasonable. I found them to be good, good writers and they left national review for a couple of reasons, but in part because I think they just wanted to provide an alternative to the increasing polarization that we see in American political journalism. And so there, I mean, the dispatch is, and they say this, like we're a conservative publication, so they have conservative views, et cetera. Um, but they also hated the way that Trumpism was sort of um, wrapping up and distorting uh, conservatism in like a giant bear hug. And, you know, conservatives were selling out for Trump and Trumpism, et cetera. And so I like that they had the courage to take that stand and then to carefully distinguish here's like what conservatism is and here's our vision of it. And then here's how it's been distorted or, or misused or abused or, um, you know, otherwise just messed up. Um, I also like though, I mean, cause there are other publications that ostensibly fit that mold, like the bulwark. Um, but I like how the dispatch doesn't fall victim to too often, at least to what I call, and it's not original, what others call the Trump derangement syndrome. where just like anything that, uh, that comes out of Trump's mouth must by definition be like devastating to humanity. I think Elizabeth Warren the other day said that Trump was a threat to like all life on earth, not even just human life. <laughs> and uh, that's not an uncommon view. I mean, I think Trump is detestable in many ways and Trumpism certainly is. Uh, but I like the way that the dispatch guys, um, you know, they actually have reasoned takes on things and can like walk you through a logical explanation for why this policy is bad or why this policy might have unintended effects or why this policy actually might be you know a better thing than it's being sort of uh, given credit for other publications that have tried to go this sort of conservative third way route like the bulwark i think too often fall into this trap of like well it's coming from the trump administration therefore it must be uh evil and you know the spawn of satan so i like the dispatches um reason take on things and i agree with your recommendation elena Nice. And do you, did you have any other books you wanted to mention, Elena? I think Flannery O'Connor is actually pretty seasonal because the, her dipping her toes into like the horror type style is actually pretty good for the month of October with <laughs> All Hallows Eve. And True. Yeah. Well, the book I read was called the Sub A Subversive Gospel and talked about, particularly about um, 
how Flannery kind of turned the, the classical transcendentals of goodness, truth, and beauty on their heads, because all of her stories are about, um, instead of goodness, truth, and beauty, it's violence, foolishness, and the grotesque. Um, and how, you know, it's easy to, to see or, or picture Christ in goodness, truth, and beauty, but Flannery really shows how God shows up just as much in violence, foolishness, and the grotesque. That's cool. um, so that definitely fits Sally with what you're saying about horror. Um, and maybe I should have mentioned, I, I also finally saw Get Out. Um, oh my so, goodness. Oh, wow. So good. <laughs> oh, I should so, watch that again. That's a good reminder. Let's do it, Sally. I should not watch that again. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I'm glad that I can say that I've seen it once. That's in my top 10 favorite movies, Elena. Wow. That's impressive. Um, and I saw the first couple of episodes of, um, uh, it's an HBO series, Lovecraft Country. Um, yeah, I keep seeing ads for that. Is it good? Yeah, I've, I've seen the first three episodes, I suppose. The first two were very odd. Um, I mean, it, it, I guess what was odd about it was it felt like uh, it felt like it could have wrapped up the series after the first two episodes. So I was kind of left wondering where it was going to go next, which is probably why I haven't dug into it deeper since then. Um, but I don't know. I might go for it again. I'm, I've, I've actually just really been enjoying horror a lot more lately. Even, you know, dumb things like um, Jeepers Creepers I saw a couple months ago. It's like a, you know, early, early 2000s. Um, or maybe it was even earlier than that. Maybe it's a 90s horror movie. Um, but yeah, I guess Flannery has kind of introduced me a little bit more into uh, the horror genre. And uh, obviously none of her books come off as a horror movie. They're not that kind of um, suspenseful, I suppose. Yeah. She doesn't play up the horror in that sense, but um, yeah, I suppose she's just given me a, a new perspective on the genre of horror. Yeah. And it's not slasher in the sense that there's, you know, a guy running around with a chainsaw, like cutting up a bunch of people, but it's slasher in the sense that there's like visceral graphic violence. Yeah. And death that is very, in your face comes at you and yeah. like the main characters die off just like in many horror movies. Yeah. Yeah. This is a bit of a departure from the, to go back to the watching for a second. Are you going to, isn't there a new a, a season of stranger things coming out? Oh, That's not know. till July. Oh, July okay. Oh, wow. okay. Okay. Yep. Never mind. Uh, I believe <laughs> filming was put hold because of COVID. Oh, oh makes sense. I wonder I'm if that sure. happened to the crown because I think the crown is supposed to come out next month. I don't know, but there are a lot of things that have been delayed. Yeah. I mean, and then like Tenet obviously opened to, you know, I guess a quote successful box office for COVID reason or for COVID, like, you know, adjusted for the COVID era, yeah. I guess, but um, just like a fraction of what it had hoped to achieve before the pandemic. And then like Dune, which was widely anticipated and uh, I guess you say hotly anticipated was also delayed till next October, I think. Like, oh, man. Um, yeah, it's crazy. The, the theaters are really hurting and it's sad because, well, it's sad because one, like theater going is a fun experience. I like going to the movie theaters. It doesn't happen to me very often as like a father of young children, et cetera. Right. I have very I like fond memories it. of last Thanksgiving. Yeah. When we got out of the house after the kids were in bed. All of us, Ford all of the Ferrari. siblings watched Ford versus Ferrari. It was so fun. And that's not going to happen this year. It won't. Um, I mean, I guess it could, like you can go to theaters, but they, you know, you have to it's not as like fun experience if you're just me all masked up. I mean, that's just, yeah. it's not, 
as comfortable as just sitting there and relaxing and not worrying about, yeah. you know, no, that's totally contracting fair. a pandemic virus. Um, and what was I going to say? Oh yeah. So theaters are really hurting though. And they're probably going to close. I think AMC said it basically has enough cash on hand to, you know, survive through the year. And then yeah. it has to either close up or get a cash infusion from some private equity firm that will, you know, turn it and burn it and sell it for parts, et cetera. Um, but it's really sad. Like I think, on one level, you're like, oh, well, the you know, the Hollywood industry can afford to lose money. Yeah, but the people losing money from that are not Hollywood execs. They're going to be fine because they can go direct to Netflix or HBO Max or Disney Plus or whatever. And those streaming films have the cash, those streaming services have the cash on hand to pay big top dollar for those productions. What it, who's Who it's going to hurt is one, like the viewer, you know, you and me who want to go to the movies. And two, more importantly, these like communities that, you know, employ people who work at the theaters, et cetera. And so it's, it's going to be a, a crisis for all, for the, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of people across the U S who work in, in theaters. Uh, and that's sad. So. Yeah. Agreed. Did you have any other books that you wanted to mention? Zach? Uh, I have a couple. Yeah. So one is called, I'm going to, I'm going to check the title while I'm talking about it, but it's a book by John Krakauer. John Krakauer wrote the, um, the it's also I think it's called Into Thin Air and it's about the ascent of Mount Everest. I read it earlier this year and it's super good. Um, so anyway, I was intrigued by his work and I saw a book by him called Under the Banner of Heaven that is basically a history of the Mormon faith um, or I guess the technically technically correct to be technically correct the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints um, and. Like he kind of tells the story throughout the book, but also tells the story of a double murder that was committed by two people, Ron and Dan Lafferty, who subscribe to a fundamentalist kind of strain of Mormonism. To be fair to those in uh, in the um, Mormon church, Mormon fundamentalism is not the same thing, but the roots are all the same and many of the beliefs are the same, et cetera. And it's just been a really, really eye-opening book to understand this. I mean, this Mormonism is the American religion. It is the, it is the religion that is still practiced today. Obviously native American type of religions. I understand that, but it's the, it's the religion that is still practiced in, in numbers today, millions of people on the continent. Um, it is growing, uh, faster than any other faith on the continent, as far as I know. Um, and it was started right here, like in upstate New York, uh, this guy, Joseph Smith in the 19th century, um, you know, because the Israelites moved to America. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the story, the stories are, are, I mean, you know, I don't mean offense to any listeners who, uh, who are, um, Latter-day Saints, but the stories are hard to believe. Incredible. They are incredible. Yeah. In the truest sense of the word. And I've just been learning a lot through that book. So I recommend that it's really interesting. I will say Wait, that what's so incredible about them because I mean, there are some saints who have some pretty incredible stories too. <laughs> so, I mean, the first thing I was talking about, actually, I was talking with this about a of mine yesterday um so i mean one of the things is like basically their entire belief framework comes from one person uh joseph mm -hmm. smith who purported to have found these golden plates and there were some you know people who who signed an affidavit i think there were like 13 people who signed an affidavit saying like nope the plates are real for in sure in the 1800s right but the plates um the plates weren't written with english they were written in you know what joseph smith described as like egyptian hieroglyphs so only he was the one who could translate it. And he had to translate it by using a seer stone that he had found in a field. 
and putting it in a hat and closing out all the light and then reading aloud to his scribe who would write down what became okay the, yeah the that's, that's pretty crazy <laughs> yeah and like i didn't know any i mean i knew about the plates but i didn't know a lot of these finer details and then just the story of how he founded this church and then move they had to move uh, basically across the nation in pieces because everywhere they went they would be persecuted and then they eventually settled in utah where they were far enough west away from the authorities that it was literally the wild west and they could um, kind of build that build a, a community and a culture there etc and so they did um, and it's it's just been a really fascinating like chapter of American history that doesn't get talked about, I think isn't known about. Um, and so I've enjoyed that quite a bit. So I would say check out Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer. All right. I When I think of fall reading, I think of reading mystery books and like crime fiction. And so- Wait, why? why? What does that have to do with the fall? I don't know. Hmm. Just kind of like cozy. Okay. And mystery, mystery books. It's- Crime books are cozy. Yeah. Yeah. There's something. Well, so I don't read like super gory, terrible ones or something, but there, I read something in between like really gory, scary, suspenseful horror kind of crime. And then just like easy breezy. They never even really mention what the crime is and you never feel scared while you're reading it. That kind of thing. So something in between. Okay. And what fits the bill for me is usually Tana French or JK Rowling, otherwise known as Robert Galbraith. And it just so happened that- her newest book just came out and I got on the hold list very early. And so now I am making my way through it. It's 927 pages or something, but we've talked about this before, but just brief recap for those who haven't heard us talk about the Robert Galbraith series, who is Robert Galbraith and what is the series that you're talking about? So Robert Galbraith is JK Rowling. That's her pseudonym. And because she had to get away from the, like the Harry Potter, JK Rowling. So she started this in like 2016, maybe roughly sure. That's when I started reading it was 2016. And I know she had a couple books out at that time. And then every two years she's come out with a new book. And so this is book four, five, five. Five, Yeah. And the last one came out in 2018. And so I've just been waiting. And now here I've been gifted this 927 page present. I will say she's doing exactly what she did in the Harry Potter series, which is each book is longer. <laughs> yeah, that's a it good point. It just keeps yeah. getting thicker yeah. and thicker and thicker. It's yeah. amazing. She's an incredible writer. It's amazing. Yeah. But the nice thing about it is it doesn't feel like it's really, really long. It's actually nice because once you've gotten this far in the series, you love the characters and you just kind of want to soak them in and appreciate not only them solving the crime, which a lot of books are just just solely based off of what is the crime and how are we going to solve it? And so it's more fast paced, but this has, this takes place over the course of at least a year of them researching or going, trying to solve this cold case from years and years ago, 40 years ago. And, uh, but you just get reunited with these characters that you love because her Harry Potter characters, same thing going on here. You just love the characters and you want to keep hearing their stories. So I've been texting with a few friends who also love Cormoran Strike and, uh, Robin Ellicott and there is the same experience of like oh my friends I missed you totally. for two years <laughs> and it's based in England and I, just, I love novels that are based yes, in England yes that it is fun and it's fun that we've been there and so yeah so I would say that is what I'm enjoying right now Troubled Blood by Robert Galbraith and um, also I did also put myself on the hold list for the newest ton of French book which just came out and so I'm going to pick do that next I forget what it's called actually right now um, 
I'm also rereading Heart of Perfection, which I've mentioned on the podcast before. It's about spiritual perfectionism and kind of walking through the lives of certain saints who can help us with our spiritual perfectionism, which I definitely suffer from. Um, and then I, uh, my other, my other favorite thing to read is like kind of lighter romantic comedies. And, um, I've read a few of those just over the past couple months that I've enjoyed. Um, one of them was called Unmarriageable and it was basically like a Pakistani take on Pride and Prejudice. It almost like followed it chapter by chapter, but it was set in modern day Pakistan. So that was kind of cool. Um, and I, I don't know, besides that one, that's the one that sticks out to me the most, but those are some, some of my recommendations. I like it. I have one more reading recommendation that I forgot about. It's an, it's a long form article. You know, I love long form journalism, Sally. This is by Julia Yaffa, who used to be at Politico, I think. Now she's a GQ writer and it's called the mystery of the immaculate concussion. And <laughs> I, I don't really appreciate the pun in the title, but the story itself, let me just read you the, uh, the subtitle here. And you guys can tell me if this sounds interesting. He was a senior CIA official tasked with getting tough on Russia. Then one night in Moscow, Mark Polymeropoulos, it's a very complicated name, Mark Polymeropoulos' life changed forever. He says he was hit with a mysterious weapon, joining dozens of American diplomats and spies who believe they've been targeted with a secret device all over the world and even at home on U.S. soil. Now, as a CIA investigation points the blame at Russia, the victims are left wondering why so little is being done by the Trump administration. And I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but there were a lot of um, State Department employees we're coming home from Cuba with very strange symptoms. Hmm. Um, Sounds vaguely familiar. You know, perhaps hearing things, perhaps cognitive issues, et cetera. And there was speculation then that there was some sort of an acoustic weapon being wow. leveraged at U.S. operatives, maybe by the Cuban government, et cetera. So this is basically a continuation of that saga. And according to uh, Yava's reporting, evidence is pointing uh, at Russia as being responsible. And this has happened potentially in the U.S. here at oh home, potentially in Russia as well. So it's a really, um, I mean, it's scary, but it's its an important piece of reporting and it's a fascinating just glimpse into the world of espionage. So I recommend that as well. The Mystery of the Immaculate Concussion in GQ. Just published a couple of days ago. Okay. Wow, yeah. I'll check that out. Well, I think we're on listen now. Uh, I'll start here and I just have a couple. So one, I love the band Need to Breathe. And they just came out of, not just, but a few months ago, came out with a new album called Out of Body. And it's very, very good. I love it. Uh, it's my standard like bike riding jam Nice when I go riding. Um, so love their band. They're, they always have, like they have a kind of a core sound. And I guess this is not uncommon for a band, right? But they have a core sound, but they, they tend to like reinvent themselves every album, which is just fun. It's amazing. So you never know exactly what you're going to get. But um, I really like this one. I think it's really good. So check out Out of Body by Need to Breathe. Uh, also been listening to some uh, some Ben Rector. He's just a good like classic voice to go back to. Um, but the other thing, so building on Elena's recommendation of reading the Dispatch, there's a Dispatch podcast as well. I think I've talked about it before on the podcast, um, but I really like that they have two to three episodes per week. Always just really good takes. You know, I won't agree with everything, uh, which is kind of what you want, right? Like who wants to listen to something where they're just like nodding their head all the time? You want to be, yeah, challenged, be challenged and stretched and all that. So yeah. I try to listen to a variety of um, voices across the political spectrum. And I, I find that the dispatch people are in general to me, um, just the most, the most reasonable, the, the most dispassionate, um, commentators. And I really appreciate their work. So check out the dispatch podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Um, and I'll pass it now to you, Sally. What are you listening to? 
Okay. So I have always have a hard time breaking out of my regular podcasts because my time to listen doesn't increase. And I always, I want to keep listening to certain podcasts. So I've really only added one in the past few months. And that is called, Zach, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. What God is not. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Okay. So you suggested this one to me and, um, there's two Eastern Catholic, uh, religious, uh, persons, a priest and a sister, and they just talk about a variety of topics. It, it doesn't really have a, a certain theme necessarily, um, but it's the sister and her, or you could think of her as a nun, um, and her spiritual director from when she first decided to become a nun. And um, yeah, it's just been very fruitful listening in terms of just like spiritual growth and development, and they they share their own struggles as well as just kind of expounding on general um, Catholic topics. So I'm enjoying that. Um, and I'll just say the reason why it's called what God is not is because oh yeah, this is good. they're Eastern Catholics and the, the tradition in the East has generally been to emphasize what's called apophatic theology as opposed to cataphatic theology. And so cataphatic theology is the predominant tradition in the West that tries to approach God um, by affirmations or positive statements about what we can say about what God is. And apophatic theology is really the necessary counterpart to that. Yeah, You need both of these things. But apophatic theology is sometimes also called negative theology because what it does is try to talk about or approach who God is by speaking only in terms of what cannot be said about the perfect goodness of God. And so that's why it's called, you know, somewhat cleverly, cleverly in my opinion, what God is not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cool. I like the idea. It doesn't necessarily hit you over the head like every single episode, but, um, but you can see it right as a theme. Um, I'm also still always listening to God's planning and, um, I, I also, I guess I've one podcast that I have recently started listening to more because, um, I get into a meal plan rut and I'm not always sure of new rest, new recipes. Um, is this really funny, funnily titled episode called, didn't I just start, stop feeding you? I think that's the right title. Um, but it's basically just the idea that like your family always needs to eat oh, yeah. and you're like, no, didn't I just feed you? That's what it's called. Didn't I just feed you? And which I totally resonate with. And, and, and usually what I feed them is not really met with, with much, uh, appreciation. excitement. Appreciation. I mean, today, what was it yeah. that, uh, our middle child sat down and said, yuck. <laughs> just looked at it to and which said, our said, yuck. youngest child, of course, imitated her and said, yuck. Yeah. So I'm always looking for new ideas that can somehow provide nutrients, but also enjoyment and memories, family culture, things like that. So, um, for parents out there, I, I do recommend the podcast. That's such a brilliant name for a podcast. Right. Right. I, I, know. I know. So the most recent episode was all about beans and they both talked about ideas to use beans, dried beans and canned beans, which Elena, you might even, you know, it's not just about feeding your family. It's about feeding yourself too. So you might appreciate that. And uh, they talked to a cool guy who started who, I think he was in Brooklyn, but he started a, a company that makes packaged dried beans with seasonings and so forth to make your life with dried beans a little bit easier. And um, he was just giving ideas and they talked about every different kind of bean and I found it very interesting and fun. Nice. That sounds great. All right, Elena, how about you? Listen recommendations. Well, uh, this isn't new, but I have been listening to um, 
Max Richter has a re uh, recomposition of Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Oh, cool. Which I think is one of the most perfect albums I've ever heard. And of course, I love anything seasonal. So, of course, it's fitting, especially as we're talking about, as this is a seasonal podcast, uh, or at least this this topic of rewatch listen. So, yeah, I just think it's one of the most beautiful. It just brings like a new energy and a new life to Vivaldi, which of course already has so much energy to it um but yeah it just uh it, it's a really fresh take on it and max richter of course i'm not sure what he first became i, I have no familiarities for, so give me a background on who this person is have you guys seen arrival with yes um, okay so he does the the song at the end oh okay. um it's yeah it's called on the nature of daylight um uh, but he's just a really wonderful contemporary composer and um yeah so i i you should definitely check out his recomposition of above all these four seasons it's a really wonderful album nice yeah send me a link to that elena and i'll put it in the show notes for listeners because that sounds fascinating. yeah that sounds really cool nice all right i will cool well any other recommendations guys for reading watching or listening for fall 2020 i think those are my best recommendations okay cool <laughs> Elena, anything else? Yeah, nobody's going to be able to do anything about this unless you live in the Chicago area. But I'm going out to dinner tomorrow night to a place called the Maple Tree Inn, which is like Louisiana Cajun food. And I could not be more excited about this. So there aren't too many. I mean, I, I go to a lot of different kinds of restaurants. and I eat a lot of international food, but I'm really excited about this place. So if there's anyone in the south suburbs of Chicago check out Maple Tree Inn. That sounds awesome. Fun. Cool. All right. Send us a link to that one as well. If we have listeners over there, they can uh, check it out. We can support local businesses. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining for another Read, Watch, Listen. Uh, to our listeners, if you have Read, Watch, Listen recommendations for us, maybe we can include them in the next quarterly one. Email Zach and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com. Elena, thanks so much for joining us for another one of these. We're looking forward to seeing you next month for Thanksgiving and uh, having some brandy apple uh, what is it? Brandy apple something? <laughs> Cocktail? <laughs> yeah, it's called a pink lady. Okay, pink oh, lady. Nice. Brandy apple egg white cocktail known as the pink lady. <laughs> Alongside our maple bourbon pumpkin pie. It's going to be delicious. <laughs> All right, for Vernacular Podcast, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week. You know I'm by your side